Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. I am actually responsible for all of the tax except for property tax and payroll tax for New Star Energy, which includes our foreign. So like I said, we're in five different countries. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. That clip was from Audra Fahey, Vice President of Tax at New Star Energy. This is going to be a treat for us. Audra is the first guest we've had, believe it or not, that has transitioned from public accounting tax into an industry tax role. For some reason, we had neglected that path in the first hundred episodes. It's hard for me to believe, but we're taking care of that today. In addition, though, it's important to note that the company Audra works with, New Star Energy, is a publicly traded company on the New York Stock Exchange, and she was with them in their spinoff from an even larger publicly traded company, Valero Energy in the mid-2000s. I was really looking forward to this interview, and I know you won't be disappointed. We had a really great conversation. Also, if you haven't yet heard about our recent book release, 49 Tips for a Successful Accounting Career, please check that out as well. It's now available on Amazon. Once again, that title is 49 Tips for a Successful Accounting Career. I don't know what to say other than if you enjoy the podcast, you'll like the book. Basically, I took all the advice we've received from our guests over the last couple years and combine that with some of my own experience in accounting employment and condense that into these 49 tips. So once again, that title is 49 Tips for a Successful Accounting Career. If you do choose to check it out, I'd love to hear what you think. Please email me at markg at whereaccountantsgo.com. Well, let's go ahead and get started with the interview. Here's Audra Fahey, Vice President of Tax at the publicly traded company, New Star Energy. Hello, Audra. Thank you for coming on the show. You are welcome. I'm looking forward to this. Wonderful. Well, for the audience, we have Audra Fahey on the line, and I met Audra briefly at a recent orientation meeting for master's students, actually, at one of the local universities. And I'm always on the lookout for good podcast guests that are going to have meaningful insight that they're willing to share with us and with you, specifically the audience. So I definitely had to see if Audra would accept the invitation to be on the program once I heard a little bit about her background. She recently started teaching part-time at the university, but from a professional standpoint, most of her career is in the tax space, specifically starting in public and then transitioning into industry tax positions. And I can't believe this. I'm even a little embarrassed about it, but we haven't had a guest in the last two years, so since we started, that made that move into industry tax, and that's where they've made their career. So I definitely want to have that discussion, and Audra, you're the perfect person to delve into that. Before we get into your recent experience, Audra, I definitely want to start at the beginning, you know, so everyone gets an idea of where you came from. What initially influenced you to decide to pursue accounting as a possible career in the first place? 
I definitely found accounting very indirectly. Right after high school, I actually joined the Air Force to actually pay for college. College didn't seem like an option at the time when I was 18. So I joined the military. I went to school part-time while I was serving in the Air Force. And after five years, I decided I was going to get out and go to school full-time. And I still hadn't made up my mind what I wanted to do. I was an intel specialist in the Air Force, so that didn't really transition well into civilian world. So I ended up at the University of Arkansas in Little Rock, and I started in the business department figuring, uh, I have a year or two to figure out what I want to do. And my first semester, I had accounting 101, and it was taught by a new professor who worked at Deloitte. He was a CPA, and he went through his introduction of who he was and how he came to teaching at the university and how great it was to be a CPA. You could pretty much do anything you wanted. You could, you know, have a small business. You could be a CEO of a company. And it was a CPA, being a certified public accountant, no matter where you were, there was always a demand for them, and everybody knew what you could do if you were certified. And my husband was in the military still, and I thought, well, this is perfect. I'm not quite sure what I want to do. Most of the class doesn't seem to understand debits and credits. It seems pretty easy to me. And if my husband relocates every two years, I'll probably be able to get a job as an accountant. And so that's how I ended up in accounting, very indirectly. Interesting. It's amazing how many of our guests, it's definitely the majority, ended up in accounting because of the dependability. You know you can always find work anywhere. (laughs) Yeah. And that was key. That was key because military bases, you aren't necessarily in a big city. But it sounded like being an accountant, there was going to be a need for you wherever you were. Okay. Okay. So at that point, once you had that accounting 101 class, did you pretty much go straight through school? Uh, I did. Okay. How did you get your first job out of school? Or did you have an internship first? How did that work? I did. I interviewed even back in the 90s. I interviewed with the big, I want to say it was six back then, the big six accounting firms. And since I was at the University of Arkansas at Little Rock, it was a relatively small school. So I think only four of the firms show up there because they would mostly recruit from Baylor and the University of Arkansas up in Fayetteville. And so I interviewed in the public space, and I actually was kind of excited about possibly working for public at that point because it seemed like in a short amount of time you could get a lot of experience. But they only hired two people from our school. Fortunately, one of them was me. And I was actually hired to, um, once I graduated, start in the fall as an auditor. And in the meantime, I interviewed on campus with several tax people, and I definitely was interested more in tax than audit because of the travel. And they ended up calling me in January, my last semester of school, and offered me a a 20-hour-a-week internship during tax season because they always needed somebody. And then what ended up happening, I graduated in May, which was about a month after April 15th, which I think half the staff had quit because turnover was quite high back then. And I started full-time in the tax department at Ernst & Young as soon as I graduated. Interesting. So if I understand that right, you had the offer to start an audit. Yes. (laughs) My career was very indirect the whole time. Wow. You're a first for many reasons on our podcast. (laughs) That's a new one. (laughs) So how long were you at Ernst at the time, or EY, what we call it now? Yes. I worked there for two years. I was fortunate enough. I started in May. I graduated in May, started in May, and then I decided instead of trying to take the CPA exam in May, I was just going to take it in November 
took the exam in November, passed it the first time, and then I worked at Ernst Young for two years, long enough to get my experience under a licensed CPA so I could be licensed in the state of Arkansas before my husband was relocated to San Antonio, Texas. So I thought, I wasn't sure how, if you took a test in Arkansas, how would that would reciprocate into Texas, but I know if I had my license, that would be an easier transition. So I was there for almost a little over two years. Okay. Well, was that the reason behind your move from EY to KPMG at the time, was the move of locations? Yes. My husband was relocated to Lackland. I was pregnant, and it was about the time ENY was changing from compliance. They were changing like their tax format from compliance and consulting, and so technically in the summer, usually it's not a very busy time. So the San Antonio Ernst Young office was very hesitant to transfer me in August. And KPMG at the time had just closed their Corpus Christi office and moved a partner and a manager up here, but none of the staff came with them. And they honestly didn't think they'd keep most of those clients. And they ended up retaining, I think, like 95% of the Corpus Christi clients. And so they were buried in the summer. So when I had applied at KPMG, I pretty much got the job pretty quickly because I was a two-year experienced staff in tax. Okay. How long were you with KPMG? Ten years. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, take us through that time, I guess. What was your progression like, and what were some of your specialties, or, or did you have any specialties? I kind of did. San Antonio, especially the KPMG office, I'm not sure how Ernst Young is here, but San Antonio, I did everything from, like, the smallest individual return all the way through to, like, a public corporate return, trust estates and not-for-profits, everything in between. So you're kind of a jack-of-all-trades in that office, which was good because you're always doing something. You're always busy. Flip side of that, there's always a deadline almost every month. But I started specializing. I had several large family groups that had real estate partnerships. So I started getting more of a specialty in partnership work, even though I still did manufacturing corporations and banks and SEC privately held Pretty much, it ran a gamut. When I did decide to leave public, I was actually kind of worried about the fact that I wasn't an expert on anything. So how would that translate from public accounting to industry where you're going to be very specific in one industry and one entity type? Okay. Okay. Ten years is a, a long time. How did your progression work there? Or I guess before we get into your industry experience, what level were you at before you made that job? I was a senior manager. I was When I went over there, I started as a senior And I think after I was in public for four years when I was promoted to manager and I thought they were crazy for promoting me to manager after four years because I was not, I didn't think I was ready. (laughs) Fortunately, I worked for a great partner who felt like I was. And he said, just because you don't think you're ready, it doesn't mean you can't do it. And so, which was really good advice. And I think after two years, I was promoted to senior manager and I left as a senior manager. I think that was before they start making people directors and things like that. Just for the benefit of people that are wanting to take their career, you know, along a similar path in public accounting, if you look back now, is there anything you can identify that led to your ability to be successful in the big four and get promoted and get promoted early in some cases? (laughs) I think for what I've always thought, and I kind of reflect back on that, especially with some of our new staff here in my department, is that... In public, it's all about getting the job done. There's budgets, there's time constraints, there's deadlines. You have to meet expectations of 
not one manager. Sometimes, you know, you're working with up to six managers at a time during busy season. And at KPMG, I could be working for a partner in Houston or Austin, you know, one in San Antonio. So it's very dynamic. And so it's all about like meeting expectations for that person you're working for. And I've always found that if they schedule you with 40 hours worth of work and you can get it done in 30, do it and ask for more because you're going to get exposure to more technical clients if you can do a good job on what you're given and you can get through it in a timely fashion. So I felt like that was one of the biggest advantages of public is the amount of technical work you got to do in such a short amount of time. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, don't make your work fit the day. Just right. get get your work done and see what else you can do. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. It makes your boss's life a lot easier that way as well. Well, you always hear, oh, well, you know, well, why can't I work on that project? Or, you know, you know, you're always giving that work to so-and-so. It's like, well, but you're always still working on your deadline work. So, yeah, if you make your work fit your day or your week or your month, you're never going to get anything new assigned to you. Good point. Well, tell us about the transition in the industry. So you're a senior manager at KPMG. What happened next? Well, we were, I think I left probably like a year or two after Sorbanes-Oxley and all of the Anderson, the accounting firms were kind of going through a lot of transition. And with Sorbanes-Oxley and a lot of the things that were coming down compliance-wise, we kind of, there was a shift of, it seemed like the managers were working more than the staff because the work was more technical. And I always loved public because I always felt there was flexibility. You know, you had six weeks of personal time off. You know, it wasn't like sick versus vacation. And so I always kind of felt like you had control over your schedule and you had flexibility. Um, I had two children during my public accounting experience, and I could leave at 5.30, go home, have dinner, you know, do bath time with them when they were babies, and then just I would work after because you could bring work home as long as you got the work done. That's what mattered, and I always loved that part of the public with flexibility. But towards the end of my public career, I still had the flexibility, but I wasn't really taking any time off. I was, I think I was coming up to losing about six weeks of paid vacation because you would have to work so much before you go on vacation and so much after you never really took vacation. And so I was just, I was kind of burnt out with the client service aspect of it, and I talked to the partner I worked for, told him I was thinking about either going out on my own as like a sole proprietor or, you know, looking at something for industry. And I told him I wasn't leaving because I was unhappy. I was just leaving because I was ready for a new challenge. So I wasn't just going to leave for anything. It had to be the right opportunity. And that's when I got the opportunity to interview at Valero, which was a KPMG client at the time. So I had to get permission from the audit partner to interview because I never did any work on the client. And so... Two partners in my office knew I was actually looking, which is very uncomfortable, but it wasn't because I was disgruntled or, you know, I was about ready to give two weeks notice and walk away. It was just more of a, I was ready for a transition. Okay. I was curious if they were a client, particularly when you were mentioning some of the other work you did, it sounded like there might've been some oil and gas in there somewhere. Right. I did did a lot of, well, I had a couple of oil and gas clients that were privately owned. So I did mostly uh, family groups that had corporations or partnerships. So the Valero, I actually didn't work on it at all, which worked out to my advantage. Beautiful. Okay. And now that we're, what, 13 years later now since that change? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. And you're still intact. I am. I am. Because <laughs> <laughs> tax <I> all changes. <laughs> now, the time of Valero was sort of short-lived, though, right? 
I worked for Valero. They interviewed me. It was a very confusing interview because they're like, oh, you'll have Valero pension, Valero benefits. I'm like, well, why wouldn't I? They were actually hiring me to do the Valero partnership work, which the Valero partnership work then spun off to be New Star Energy. So I worked for the Valero tax department from September 25th through December 31st of 2005. And they transferred me over to the partnership, 1-1-2006. So I only worked for Valero technically for three months. Wow. <laughs> which was, it was interesting because like my boss, I had a whole list of like questions because I started three months after the partnership had just acquired another master limited partnership about the same size. So it was a pretty big transaction and it like doubled the size of the partnership and nobody did anything on it. And so I had this list of open items that I had to get with the vice president of Valero with to, you know, so he'd be comfortable with the decisions I made on the tax return. And the a director I worked for was just like, oh, he's busy doing something else because the partnership was never a priority. And on the 2nd of January, I got to put all those issues to bed because now I was in charge of the tax return. So, And I got to basically sit across the table from him over the next six months during the spinoff, negotiating if our deferred tax assets had any value or not. And, you know, would Newstar compensate Valero for them or not? So I went from working for the vice president of tax to sitting across the table negotiating terms on the spinoff, which was kind of crazy. I don't think that happens every day. Wow. And you did you start then as the new VP of tax with Newstar? Is that what you're saying? No, I was oh, still a okay. senior manager. But when we spun off, it was... What was supposed to happen is before we spun off, when I started there, I was still just doing the, the income tax, the federal, state, and international income tax for the partnership. And so I talked to the CFO, who is now my boss of the partnership, and I said, well, I think I need to be promoted to director. You know, I'm, I'm taking on this big responsibility. He said, no, you're not. You're doing exactly what you were hired for, and I don't know if I want you to be my director. You're not doing anything more, and you don't even know if you can be the director. And so. Wow. Oh, yeah. So it was kind of, and that was the first time I've ever asked for anything in my whole career. I was very, I was under the school of thought, like, oh, if I work hard, I'll get promoted. And in public, I did. In this respect, it's like I felt like I was taking on a lot more responsibility and, you know, the title and the pay weren't equal. And so I'm like, well, he's right. You know, nothing's changed yet. Well, then we were spinning off and I had to not only be in charge of the income tax compliance, I had to do the motor fuel compliance and the sales and use tax compliance. And I actually had no bodies to do it. So I had like two income tax people and Valero gave me a very short list of who I could talk to to transition over to the partnership. And they were either the people who had been there for 30 years or the people who had been there for 30 days. So I took the new people. Okay. And then I just, I kind of worked my way through it and built up the New Star Energy Tax Department. And about, that was probably six, and we did the spinoff. And so it was about six months later and I went back to the CFO I said, you need me to be the director of your tax. My job has changed, and I want to be the director of tax. And he's like, you're right. He goes, I'll put the paperwork in. So I did finally get promoted to director, and then I think it's probably like three or four years later, I think I went through that same dialogue with the new. They ended up moving me from the CFO to the controller somewhere along the way, and our Structure is pretty complicated, and it's very tax-oriented, and so I had that similar conversation with the controller and said, I think I need to be the VP of tax. I'm doing the work. You know, this is what I'm doing, and kind of laid it out, and he agreed with me, and he's like, oh, I was already in the process of getting you promoted. So 
And that worked out well. (laughs) There you go. I don't know if other people, but I know like when you're in public, it's like, oh, if you leave public, you're going to be bored in industry. You're going to be doing the same things over and over again. Promotions are slow. I think my promotions were very fast and not typical, but I don't think it's as bad as like, you know, public makes it sound like, oh, once you leave, you're going to be bored and you're never going to get promoted. It's all about opportunities that are presented to you and opportunities you're asking for. Beautiful. Yeah, I I was going to ask this later, but let's just jump into that now. I mean, what do you, let's compare and contrast, you know, working in industry tax and public tax. What do you see as the differences? And and I don't know if you want to classify them as advantages or disadvantages. I mean, that's up to you. But what are the differences now that you've done both for about the same amount of time? Yes, I think... The definite, in public accounting, you learn a lot quickly. My daughter's in accounting, and I told her at least spend, you know, two to five years in public accounting, but the experience you get in public accounting, I don't think you can get that anywhere else, no matter how dynamic your job is in industry as an entry-level person. When I left and I was kind of concerned about, oh, I have no expertise in anything, what am I going to do? I actually learned that my expertise that I learned from public doing a little bit of everything and being the jack of all trades, I knew when there was issues. I knew when there was issues I could handle, and I knew there was issues that I had to outsource or reach out to like a consultant in Big Four. So the things you learn in public helped me transition because there are things that, yes, I'm capable of doing. There are things that, yes, my department's capable of doing. There's also things that are so technical and the timelines to implement them are so short, you have to outsource and go to consulting. But I think being in public, managing so many jobs and working with so many different managers and so many different staff all at one time on different projects, you learn how to manage all of those projects at once, which really helped me here because New Star, we're in five countries and 27 states. So when I transitioned from public to industry, I noticed very little difference. It was pretty, I mean, we were in acquisition mode. We're still trying to integrate the acquisition of other master limited partnerships they bought. And then they were continuing to buy different assets. And so, I don't know, they're very similar, but different. It's the pace of industry is slower when it comes to promotions, decisions. I'm trying to think. It's like the things I didn't like in public, like, you know, invoicing clients, doing engagement letters. I'm just on the other side of it now. So I have to review engagement letters, get them signed, pay, you know, public accounting firms invoices. So I've never liked the administrative side of industry or public. So I don't know. Industry, I think the advantage of industry is you get to focus on one single client, one single industry, and you become an expert. Okay. I was curious about that because I was thinking there's the obvious, well, you only have one client. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, how, how many returns do you guys do? At oh, Star? we probably have over 300. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and we're not I, that big. I would say, like, we probably have about 25 federal and then the rest are states. And then you add in probably like 100 of our transaction tax returns and There's, and you know, it is, you have one client, but I figured out in industry, your clients are accounting, accounts payable, engineering, business development, legal. So you're answering questions from other departments as if they are your clients. Okay. So it's, I can't think of a job in the world, even if you worked for yourself, unless 
I guess maybe in tech where you're not, you don't have any outside interaction, you always answer to somebody. I had a question. I was thinking through what you were saying. And in the past, when I've talked to people that transitioned from public into industry and then decided industry wasn't for them and they went back into public, usually they, at least in the conversations I've had, they mention it's because of the pace, that the pace was slower. But you joined an organization that was immediately going to be spinning off right. a piece and then that's very dynamic. So yeah. all of a sudden you're with a startup. Do you think if you, and you seem driven, do you think if you went into industry and the organization wasn't changing and it was a more mature business and, you know, they weren't merging <laughs> or spinning off, do you think it would have been as good a fit as this has been for you? I don't think so. I think yeah. the only, I mean, cause yeah, we've spun off, we've acquired, we've bought back our GP this year. There was tax reform. I mean, there's, it's not only is the tax world very dynamic and it's become more dynamic over the past five years. Our company has, it's morphed and evolved and changed in 13 years. So we're always, we're always doing something. It's like I would read, you know, we would go to, because New Star Energy is a master limited partnership. It's a publicly traded partnership and PwC has a users conference every year. And you hear about all these like things that some of the partnerships are doing and they're doing these big acquisitions, but like it's an acquisition in Texas. So it's asset deal, pretty simple. Well, meanwhile, you know, we've just spun off our asphalt refineries and we had the probably the most technical transaction that PwC had seen in five years. He said, you know, yeah, there's a lot more activity. He goes, but I have never seen anything this technical. And the people who are on the other side of the table, they had Ernst and Young helping them. And it was, they agreed by far, it was probably the most technical transaction they'd seen in years. So we've gotten to do, because of our business, I've gotten to do a lot of transactions. And I think because of the fact that they're hard, they're complicated, they're difficult, they are challenging. And yeah, if I was in a mature company and I was a senior manager doing the same return year in and year out, I don't know if I would have went back to public. I think there's a lesson in there. I always looked at it as, well, there's just some people that need the pace of public accounting, and so industry isn't a fit. But it's not that all industry isn't a fit. It's a matter of finding the right organization right. that, yeah, is going to be able to match that. That's a good point. Well, tell us about your role now. You know, I guess, what's your area of responsibility? And for the younger professionals, how do you spend your time at work? What do you actually do? <laughs> I am actually responsible for... All of the tax, except for property tax and payroll tax for New Star Energy, which includes our foreign. So, like I said, we're in five different countries. So, I'm actually over the international compliance, which is very challenging. I am over the transaction tax, and I'm fortunate to have some really good people in transaction tax because that is definitely not where I came from. Income tax is my specialty. I'm over federal tax. What I've spent my last year doing is tax reform, OECD, BEPS. It's international laws that are coming out about transfer pricing and anti-tax avoidance, and every country in the world is adopting some form or fashion of this new law. And um, with tax reform, it's kind of changing the way you look at every structure now because the rules have completely changed. And so what I spend my days now, some days it drives me nuts, is uh, researching trying to write the memos, trying to understand the new laws, you know, working with consultants, 
I have my directors do a lot of the compliance. I still do look at tax returns, especially with tax reform, because some of tax reform did affect our 2017 returns. So I still spend time with compliance. I do all the compliance for the foreign because my managers just, they're doing the domestic and we have a pretty fair load of work that we have to get done. So I fortunately can pick and choose what I want to do. And it's not necessarily, oh, I'm going to do research versus compliance. It's just which one am I going to do first because I have to do a little bit of both. And I spend a lot of time at my level. Sometimes you'll end up in meetings a lot of the day, which sometimes they're really good when you go to the business development meetings. If we're looking at acquisitions, if we're looking at dispositions, you know, what are we looking to get rid of? How are we looking to get rid of it? What are we looking to buy? Is it going to be an asset deal? Is it going to be a stock deal? So, those are the kind of things that keep me going. I have two directors, one over transaction tax and one over income tax, and they both love compliance, and they're not a big fan of due diligence. And I love due diligence, but not a big fan of compliance. So I definitely have people in my organization that aren't like me so that we have a group of people that get the job done. So sounds like you've done a good job selecting team members, you know, whether you brought them over in the beginning or have hired since then. It sounds like you've done a good job putting together people with different strengths, which is is important. Very. I have to ask this. So like I alluded to in the introduction, you and I met at UTSA and the orientation for the Macy program. That's because you're a part-time professor. Given everything else you're doing, what in the world led you to think, you know what, I think I'm going to, I think I've got time to teach part-time too. Why not? You know, <laughs> okay, that thought never went through my head. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> All right. <laughs> what I thought was what had happened, how I ended up with that opportunity is when I was probably in the military trying to figure out, you know, because, and I know with younger kids today, my son's going through the same thing is like everybody seems to have to know what they want to do at 18. So they can go to college, get it done, get their degree and do it. And I didn't. I joined the military at 17. I had my mom and dad sign the forms because I had no idea what I wanted to do. I just knew that I couldn't stay and do nothing. And I knew we had no money for college. So it's like, I'm going to join the military. I think this will be a great opportunity. And I did it as a career. I mean, I went wholeheartedly. I'm doing this. I'm going to be in for 20 years. I'm going to retire when I'm 37. This is going to be great. And, you know, when I was in there going to school part-time, it's like I was really good at math. I'm like, well, maybe I'll be a teacher. And so then, you know, I ended up in accounting. I ended up tax. And that was one of my things I loved in public accounting was, you know, the new staff, the interns, teaching them, you know, developing them. And so I always kind of thought, well, maybe in retirement I could teach. And so you back up uh, last November, the controller of Newstar is on the UTSA advisory board, and he said, hey, there's a position for teaching corporate tax. Are you interested? And so he passed on the department chair's name, and so I forwarded him my resume, and I ended up teaching this master's class. And honestly, the timing was awful. It was corporate tax, new stars of partnership, but we do have several, like all of our foreigners corporate, and we do have several corporations in Newstar. And if you actually, since I've been teaching this class, if you really step back, it doesn't matter what form you're putting it on. The tax laws are pretty much the same, just corporations and partnerships have an extra set of rules. 
So I wasn't sure I wanted to do it just because the timing was horrible because, you know, we were in the middle of buying back our general partner. We are still, you know, trying to wrap up tax reform and tax reform is still not over because the guidance is still coming out every week. But I decided with some encouragement from my friends because they said, you really don't think you know more corporate tax than a college student. I think you can do this. Give it a try. You've always said you want it to try to teach. And so I said, what the heck? So, and when I met you, that was a week before classes started. And I think I got access to the system like two days before class and I didn't even have a book. So I had a very, very rocky start, but I like it. It's going, but you know, my husband and I were talking about that and you can't not try something because the timing's not good. Because when is the timing going to be perfect? There's always something, there's always things going on, and sometimes you just can't. But I thought my both my kids are in college, my husband's been doing a lot of travel with work. This is probably something I could give it a shot. It's one night a week. I didn't realize it was going to be like 20 hours of prep for that one night a week, but it should get better. <laughs> <laughs> you'll get ahead eventually. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or you'll be really really ready for next semester. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be really ready for next semester. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Well, I was curious because I was doing the math and I was thinking you probably had teenagers based on what you were saying earlier, but I didn't realize they were in college by now. So that, yeah. that makes it a little easier. Given everything that you know now, if you can go back in time and give your younger self just one piece of advice, what do you think that might be? I was thinking about that. I was looking at the questions and I was thinking about that because I can honestly say career-wise, I don't think I regret anything I've done. And I think my, I would give advice is like, just do it. Just don't overthink it. If an opportunity presents itself, just do it. And I've done that, I think, for the most part, probably in the beginning of my career, maybe not so much. And I was maybe a little bit more passive in my earlier career where the advice would be is do it and don't wait for it to happen. Seek out. If you want to do something, ask to do it. There you go. Yeah, I was thinking about that when you mentioned the opportunity to be a professor and you were thinking about or you were mentioning the reasons not to do it or the timing issue. I think right. there's always reasons not to do something. It's, always. You've got to think about the reasons to do it and see what's on that side. You know, yes. because usually that's where the decision's made. Well, I end every podcast with the same three questions, and I want to be respectful of your time, so I want to go ahead and get to those. First one's usually the easiest for the guest. From a career standpoint, what's been your proudest moment? I would say creating the New Star Energy Tax Department because it was literally me, and we now have 16 people, and we have 16 great people. It's, you know, I would love to say nobody would ever quit, but our turnover is low. Everybody works well together, and we have a good discipline of people. And, and I reflect back of when it was me and a stack of resumes and a lot of work ahead of me. It's probably my proudest moment. Yeah. It is a lot of work to put together a team, but yes. usually that's the best situation. <laughs> yes. It took a good 10 years. I mean, there were definitely obstacles and hitches, but yes. We got through it, but I think we have a great department now. Wonderful. Well, the second question is usually the most fun. Tell us about a mistake you made and what you learned from it, of course, because we can't leave that part out. But frankly, the bigger that you're willing to share, the better. Oh, you know, I would love to say I never make mistakes. And actually, the mistakes I make, I don't make them twice. <laughs> so what I learned from my mistakes is don't ever do 
It's like if I make a big mistake one year, if I make a mistake the next year, it certainly won't be the same one. When I first started here, when we were first spinning off and we were acquiring our St. James facility, and it wasn't a huge acquisition. It was probably, I don't know, maybe $200 million, which, you know, compared to Valero acquisitions, it wasn't a lot. For me, it was huge. And we had a transaction tax issue about the product that was in the tank. And because Newstar wasn't licensed, if we would have bought the product in the tanks, it would have cost us $3 million of Louisiana tax that we probably would never have been able to get back. And fortunately, I mean, we were, it was like the day before we were going to buy this asset. And fortunately, I figured out I made a mistake and we needed to just have Valero buy the product from the seller and we just needed to buy the assets with no product. And so I saved the company $3 million and I was horrified that I almost lost the company $3 million. And I'm real bad. When I make a mistake, I tell my boss, I mean, I'm just, I'm pretty much whatever you see, you get. And I'm not a big hider of facts. And I remember he just looked at me and said, if you weren't here and you didn't care, we would have paid the $3 million. So timing wasn't great, but you caught it. So it probably wasn't my biggest mistake, but I think that advice I got from him was the best. So if you do make a mistake, as long as you catch it and fix it, or if you catch it and can fix it, which in tax, I mean, you have amended returns, there's always that. And you just need to learn. Like I'd have never made that mistake going forward on any other acquisition. So that was probably my first industry huge mistake, and I was horrified. But they weren't. Yes. <laughs> They had a good attitude about that. I was just like, I was beating myself up. I'm probably my worst critic. And they're like, hey, you caught it. He goes, next time, try to do it like the week before we sign, not the day. But <laughs> okay, you caught it. <laughs> wow. I may change the way I ask the question now. Tell us about a huge mistake that you almost made. But that you I know. caught in the nick of time. That makes for a better story even. I like that. <laughs> it, well, I think in tax, you have that ability to... I don't know. Maybe that's why I like tax because nothing's etched in stone. Even if you file the return and you realize you messed it up, you can amend it. I mean, that's the first thing when you get audited by the IRS. They say, hey, is there anything you made a mistake on? You can tell us now. And they just adjust it. Interesting. Interesting. It is. Well, Well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? I think it was when I was promoted to manager in public and I'm like, I don't think I can do this. And the partner said, if you don't think you can do it, you should. You should always try. You should never discount yourself. Always take that opportunity. And I try to do that. Like you said, like timing wise, you try to talk yourself out of reasons not to do something, but you should always take advantage of any opportunity presented to you, whether you think you can do it or not. That was good advice. He's a smart guy. <laughs> he was. He was uh, actually the controller I work for now. It was his dad. I worked uh-huh. for uh, he the controller here. I worked for his dad at KPMG for probably the first five years before he retired. Very small community in San Antonio. It really is. It really is. <laughs> Very small. Huge city, but everybody knows each other. <laughs> yeah. I think when I was interviewing, they actually reached out to him to say, hey, didn't your dad work at KPMG? Can you see if he knows this person? To, you know, for kind of like a behind-the-scenes reference check. Wow. I know. Very small community. Well, that is great advice and great knowledge to end this on. Thank you very much, Audra. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. It. 
Well, for our audience, this has been Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. If you haven't yet visited that website, please do so. We're going to have the show notes for Audra's episode and each of our 100 episodes now that we produce. Also, we have links to all the accounting certifications and some review courses there for you as well. Once again, that's whereaccountantsgo.com. On that note, Audra, do you have any final words of wisdom or final thoughts you'd like to leave with the audience? I think just don't pass up on opportunities. Get your work done and ask for more and always look for that next opportunity because you just never know what door will open up to you if you actually go for it. Wonderful. And that's perfect for our audience too. Well, thank you again to the audience for joining us. We will see everyone next week. There's more to come.